Who's your best friend? Jalen. I have lots of best friends. My brothers. I'm not going to say the name, but you might know who it is just by saying. He can do everything. Who? Jesus. Um, my best friend is Oliver because we have a lot of similarities in our likes. Um, Nella and Cromwell and Hannah and Sonia and I forgot the other one. What's your favorite thing to do with friends? I like to play Barbie doll. Um, um play? Let's play. Yeah. I like lots of things. I like lots Star Wars. Dolly. Wizard. How do you make friends? You say, what's their name? And then they tell you? Yeah. And then your friends? Pretty much. By being nice to them. Ask them if I can be their friend. You ask them to be your friend, and sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no. What do you do if they say no? You ask another friend. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I can watch those guys all day long. So we started last week on Easter weekend, Resurrection weekend, we started a series that we're calling, What Will We Tell the Children? And I'm thinking about retitling that after we watch these videos. I'm, I, let's, let's call it, What Will the Children Tell Us? Because we can learn a ton from them, truly. But we have these topics in our world these days that are hard for us. And there are things that come up in our, in our conversations with one another. There are things that come up in the news. There's things that come up in the world. And they call us to have an opinion. They call us to engage in them. They call us uh, to be involved in the, in the conversation in our culture. And some of these things that draw us in, they're hard topics. And sometimes it, it, it's it's a calling into our lives to have to tell children, like, what are we going to think about this? Things come up in your children's school and go, well, what am I going to tell my children about this? Or things come up around your dinner table and you go, oh, what am I going to tell my children about this? Or, you know, maybe you're in my stage of life, you go, oh, what am I going to tell my grandchildren about this? So we thought, you know what? God never backs up from those topics. God never, there's nothing that goes on in this planet that God goes, oh, I never thought that would happen. I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing catches God off guard or by surprise, right? And so uh, God speaks to these issues, and we thought, well, let's, let's take some time and let's speak to these issues ourselves. So we set out this series called, uh, What Will We Tell the Children? And last week, we began by saying, what will we tell the children about God? And there's a lot of stuff you could tell children about God, beautiful, amazing things. God's a creator, and God is holy, and God is love, and God is merciful, and God is full of grace. But we saw last week, probably if, if anything matters that you can tell someone else about God, tell them this, God is a God who raises people from the dead. God is a God of resurrection. And if God can raise the dead, God can certainly change the living. And that's part of what we have to keep in mind about who our God is. If God can raise the dead, he can change the living. And it means he can change me because I'm still living and it can, he can change you because you're still living. It can change other people around us. And that's the mission that Jesus gave us, to, to see as many lives transformed as possible into followers of Jesus. 
If God can raise the dead, he can change the living. But then there's some other topics that we have to get to. If, that, if that's who God is, then what does he say about how this world works and how do we engage in this world and things like that? So we laid out a whole series. It's interesting. We, we did this series. I laid it out back in November. I always, I always try and plan out where are we heading. I think the Spirit of God can move at the moment, and the Spirit of God can move a year in advance. And uh, so I always go away and plan these things out and kind of lay out the general direction that we're going. And I, and I thought, oh, on this particular date, the week after Easter, let's talk about the other. Like the one who's not me, which means you. You know, and the one who's not you, the other, the one who's different from you, the one who's different from me, in whatever kind of way that is, right? So, so maybe the other is someone who, who is a different skin color or skin tone than I have. Or maybe this, the, the one who's the other has a different education than I have or a different economic background than I have. Or maybe the other is tall. Or, you know, I don't, could be all kinds of things that make someone other. And let's talk about the other and let's talk about the ways that are significant in which we are the same with one another, but different from one another. Let's talk about that. And when I laid this out, I thought, oh, let's, let's talk about ethnicities and how we, you know, we have all these different ethnicities, and God created all of them, and they all matter to God. And so let's talk about Asians and South Americans and Africans and Europeans. Let's talk about everybody. And then, of course, the events of the last three weeks in Sacramento have hit the headlines around the world and certainly around the country and certainly in our own region. And the focus has become much more sharp in these last three weeks. And I realize that we have to talk about it because God talks about it and he wants us to engage with what's going on in our world. And so I want to start today with a gut check for us. I want you to check your own gut. It's the best way to describe it. It's like it's what happens to you right here when I, na- when I say the name Stefan Clark. And I don't want you to say it. I don't want you to have, you don't have to explain it. You don't have to, you don't have to give reasons for, your, for your, what's in your gut. I just want you to do a gut check on that name, Stefan Clark. What's your unfiltered reaction? Because probably there are some who, when you're honest with yourself, your, your gut reaction is, he was breaking into cars. And there's probably some who your gut reaction is, he was unarmed. And those reactions are different from one another. And now all of a sudden we may have the other in our own room. Your gut reaction is interesting because your gut reaction is immediate. When I say, what's your gut reaction to this? You have an immediate reaction. The word immediate means without mediation, without filter, without changing it, without having it thought through for, by yourself or by somebody else, without discussing it, without debating it. It's immediate. And you have this immediate reaction. We all have this immediate reaction. What's interesting is because it's immediate, we believe it's holy. 
I mean, don't we? We, we? we go, well, that's how I feel, and it's the right way to feel, and everybody ought to feel like I feel. And when somebody else expresses that they don't feel like I feel, we think their reaction is unholy because it's so immediate to us. But our gut reaction is learned. Our gut reaction wasn't placed in our soul by God. It was learned. And our gut reaction doesn't always express who God is. Have you seen seen the movie 42? Came out about five years ago. It's It's a baseball movie, so tell me you've seen it. It's a story of Jackie Robinson, who decades ago broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Sorry to bring a Dodgers story into a bunch of Giants or maybe A's fans, but you know, it's how it goes. So, so Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and the first game he was going to play was going to be against the Cincinnati Reds in Crosley Field in Cincinnati. And as the movie tells the story of this game, the, the, the stands are packed with fans, and they're all there to watch the game, and, there's a, and there's a, they cut into a father and a son sitting in the stands together talking about baseball. It's just one of the most beautiful things that can ever happen. <laughs> and here's this dad, and he's telling his young son about all the wonderful things that happened when he used to go to baseball games as a child. And it's peaceful, and it's pastoral, it's a bucolic setting, and, and it's just wonderful listening to this dad talk about how much he loves the game with his son. And the son's listening to the dad, and he's enthralled by what he's talking about, and he's so excited to be at the game with his dad, and he probably ditched school to go there, and this is the best day ever. And then the Brooklyn Dodgers take the field. And everyone's cheering until this one player, Jackie Robinson, comes out, and then the cheering starts turns to jeering and booing and hissing. And after a while, they're, they're, the fans are saying, get off the field, get off the field, we don't want you here. And they begin to throw the N-word out to this player who's simply out to play a baseball game. And it's not very long when the fans are saying all these horrific things to this player. The dad, the dad joins into the shouting. And the son, you can see the look on the son's face, he's He's confused because he was having this wonderful conversation with his dad, and it was all peaceful and gentle, and, and suddenly his dad is transformed into someone else that the son hasn't necessarily seen, and certainly not the dad that was sitting there a minute ago. And then you can watch the son's face as he begins to think about what's, what's going on and what he's seeing and what he's experiencing and what he's going to do about it, and after a while, the son opens his mouth and he throws out the N-word to this player whom he doesn't know using a word that he doesn't know why. And I know it's just a movie. But our gut reaction is learned. But we learned it so young and we learned it so well that when it, re- when it, when it jumps up and reacts today, we think it's holy because it's immediate. And we think it expresses God's heart because it expresses our heart so clearly. It's that gut reaction that makes differences between us and the other. It's that gut reaction that makes it so that white people can't understand why a man is breaking into cars 
and why black people can't understand how Stephon Clark's criminal record is relevant to him being shot. It's why white people think justice is when a guy who is held accountable for breaking car windows and black people think justice is when a police officer is held accountable for shooting an unarmed black man. It's why white people think the first terror attack in America was a plane flying into a building. And it's why black people think the first terror attack in America was a white hooded man burning a cross. It's why white people teach their children when you hear a police siren, that's someone going to help people. It's why black people teach their children when you see a police officer, show them your hands. We asked last weekend on Resurrection Weekend, we asked the question to everybody, what in your life needs resurrection? Today I want us to ask, what in our culture needs a resurrection? And not just what do others in our culture need a resurrection for, but what do I need a resurrection for in my culture? Because God is so interested in our culture. He's so compassionate for our culture. He's so compassionate for the people in our culture. But when he thinks about transforming a culture and when he thinks about resurrecting a culture, he doesn't usually start with the other. He seems to always want to start with me. And so, what in my culture needs a resurrection? A God who can raise the dead can change the living. And he wants to start with me. I want to invite Jesus into the conversation. I want to know what Jesus says about it. There's this, there's this thing that Jesus taught us. I don't know if you know, I, don't, I, I know you know this thing that Jesus taught us. I don't know if you know that it came from Jesus. I don't know if you know where it comes from actually in the Bible. But there's this, there's this saying that Jesus gave us. We teach it to our children in kindergarten usually. I think it's, it's this statement. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. It says, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do you know that one? That's found in the Bible, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And there's a part they don't teach you in public school kindergarten that says, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. In other words, that's the whole Old Testament. You want to understand the Hebrew scriptures? You want to know what the Old Testament is about? It's about this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's a great rule. We, have a name, we actually have a name for that rule. What do we call that? The golden rule. It's like, wow, that's, that's priceless or, or close to it. It's golden anyway. What a great rule. And it is a great rule. Except that we remove it from its power when we remove it from its context. That little rule was never designed just to be plunked down on the top of kindergartners' heads so that they hear it and they go, oh, I'm going to do that. 
it's good for that, but it loses its power unless you know the context that it comes from. So if you have your copy of Scripture, I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, if you've got your smartphone, you can use that and look along in the YouVersion app. Or if you want to listen to this, that's fine. This is Jesus talking in his Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 14 are the context for the golden rule. Listen to what Jesus says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Or which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus starts off this section by saying, don't judge. We're great at judging. We judge anyone whose whose gut reaction is not the same as ours. He says, I don't want you to judge. Because you'll be judged in the same way that you judge others. Whenever we hear of racial conflict, we judge. We have a judgment. We have, a, we have an immediate response in our gut. It detonates inside of us. But that reaction inside of us is not a response to the event, but it's a response to the investment we've put into our life all these years of our lives about events like that. Someone has said, we do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Our gut reaction, our judgment that, we, that, that immediately detonates inside of us is culturally cultivated. So Jesus says, I don't want you to judge. And when he says that, he's saying, what I, what I, what I want is I, I want you not to condemn others. He's not, saying, he's not saying don't use judgment. He's not saying don't use discernment. The Bible supports the idea we should be discerning and thoughtful and wise. But he is saying, don't condemn. Don't treat people with contempt. Don't treat the other, the one who's different from you, the one who's different from me. Don't treat them with contempt. Don't condemn them. 
Because whenever you condemn someone, you're telling yourself a story. And you're only telling a one-sided story. When I tell myself my gut reaction story about Stefan Clark, I have to stop for a minute and remember, I don't even know how to tell the other side of the story. I don't know how to tell the other story. I'm a white man. That's my perspective in the world. I don't, I don't know how to tell the other side of the story, but I have to be aware that there is another side of the story. I don't know what it's like to have to teach my son when he's growing up, hey, if a police officer comes to you, show him your hands. I don't even know that story. Which is why Jesus says, don't judge, don't condemn. You don't know the story. If someone sees life differently than I do, it is always wise to ask why. If someone sees life differently, it's always wise to ask why. It's always wise to ask, why do they see it differently? And it's always, asked, it's always wise to ask, why do I see it differently? When someone sees life differently, it's always wise to ask why. Jesus says, don't judge or you'll be judged by the same standard. And, oh, and, and, and why, do, and why when you have, a, when you have a, a plank in your own eye, why do you go to your brother and say, hey, let me, let me take that speck out of your eye? Why do you do that? He goes, does that make sense to you? Have you ever had a plank in your eye? Four of you? That must have been awful. Oh, and the rest of you, I'm assuming you haven't had a, a plank in your eye? How about a splinter? You ever had a splinter in your eye? A couple of you? How about, a, how about an eyelash? You ever had an eyelash in your eye? I hate that. I hate... I have the biggest eyelashes in the world, I'm sure, because when I get an eyelash in my eyes, I go, oh, it's huge. When I get a splinter in my eye, it's huge. And what Jesus is talking about is perspective. You think you have the capacity to take that speck out of your brother's eye, but when you have a speck in your eye, it feels like a plank to you. It's all a matter of perspective. You take that splinter and you put it way out there. You can't even see it. But you put that thing inside your eye, you don't have to see it. You feel it. Jesus goes, why? Why when you've got a splinter in your eye that feels like a plank, why would you ever think you're qualified to take the, the splinter out of your brother's eye? Don't, don't go to your brother and go, hey, let me take that out of your eye. And then he says, don't give what is holy to dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. You ever come to that passage in the Sermon on the Mount and go, what? Like, do you think Jesus all of a sudden got incoherent? Do you think Jesus sort of went off the rails all of a sudden, didn't know what he was saying? No, it's all part of the context. It all goes together. See, what, what is one of the most precious, holy, sacred things in your life? It's your opinion. That gut reaction that you have when you hear of some piece of news or some piece of information and it detonates inside of you, that's your opinion. And you, to you, it's the most holy thing you have. 
Jesus said, stop throwing it out there to others because it's not holy to them. And your opinion's going to land on them or land in front of them. They're going, what's that? And they're going to trample it under their feet. And you go, why'd you trample on my opinion? That was holy to me. They go, it wasn't holy to me. It's about perspective. And then he goes on, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's, you know, when, he, when he says, ask and it will be given to you, he's not saying, ask for that new Maserati and it will be given to you. That, that, it, you know, I've asked for that before. It didn't happen. That new Tesla that's coming out, I want one of those bad boys. But, I, you know, when I ask for it, it doesn't show up. It's not what he's telling me. It's all in the context. And in the context, he's saying, Ask God for a better perspective about the other in your life or the other in your world. And you'll receive it. Seek your brother's perspective in the world and you'll find it. Knock on the door for that perspective in your life and that door will be open to you. Because everyone who asks receives and whoever seeks finds and to him who knocks that door is opened ask god to give you a different perspective on the others in this world and see what happens and then he says and do to others as you would have them do to you What do I want? What do I want from others? I want, I want others to see the world like I see it. I mean, wouldn't the, wouldn't the world be better if everyone saw it like I saw it? You're like, no, because that's your holy perspective. That's your holy opinion. What you're thinking is, no, what would really be better is if they all saw the world like I saw it. Well, what do you want? What, what, what do you want from others? For you, you want them to be able to at least see your side of the story, to see your perspective. He says, do that for others. Those people that you judge, those people that you condemn, that we condemn, when those people, he goes, what do, you, what do you want from them? You want them to see your perspective. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And enter... By the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And we get off track with that because we some, somehow, somewhere, we, we decided that the narrow way was, was like, like the straight and narrow, like follow the rules, which means do life like, like I do it. And you see people that get in trouble in the world, and you, in your gut reaction, you say, well, if you just do life like I do it, you wouldn't be in such a mess. If you just follow the rules, you wouldn't be in such a mess. But the straight and narrow way was never about following the rules. The whole Sermon on the Mount was never about following the rules. 
the truth is, and this is Jesus' point in the sermon, you, you, you can't follow the rules well enough. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. They were the most righteous people around. It's not about following the rules. It was never about that. The narrow way was never about that. The narrow way is always a way of grace. The, the gate that Jesus is describing is the gate of grace. When you choose to act with generosity toward the other. That's what he's inviting us into. The way of grace. The narrow way. The way that very few people find in this world. What do you do with that? What do I do with that? Which, by the way, when I give, when I give this talk to you, it's about me. It's about, I'm giving, you, I'm giving the same talk to me. What do I do with that? Let me give you some things to practice as we're listening to what Jesus is saying. Number one, and this is, this is for us to practice as a whole church. As a church, we will say to the other, whoever the other is whoever that one is who's different from us we will say to the other you're welcome here it's a calling from jesus that we say to the other you're welcome here and thank god that's true because we're all the other and we were welcome here we will embrace people that come to be with us but it can't just stop with inviting people to be with us. There has to be other parts of how we apply this as well. And so number two, application number two, question your gut reaction. Question your first reaction. Because it may say, your, your gut reaction may say more about your fallenness than your righteousness. When you hear something... And you have a reaction. It's okay to have a reaction. Just realize that reaction is not always from God. It may not even usually be from God. And worst case, it may never be from God. But the only way you'll know is if you stop to question your gut reaction. Number three, be the first to extend a hand across an ethnic divide. Be the first. Don't wait. Some of us are introverts, so we wait. Like, you want to say hi to me? I'll be really, really friendly if you say hi to me first. Don't wait for somebody else to be first. Be the first to reach a hand across an ethnic divide. Be the first to reach out to the other. And number four, alter your oikos. Now, if you're newer with us, you won't know what this means, so let me just describe this. An, an oikos, that's the Greek word. New Testament was written in Greek originally, so th here's the Greek word for family or extended family or network. And we're, we, uh, we're strong believers in the idea that God has put 8 to 15 people or so in your life. And he said, these people are going to be on the front row of your life. And I want you to love them and care for them in the name of Jesus. I want you to treat them like Jesus is treating them. 
But sometimes when you look around at your oikos, at your network, do you ever find that everybody in your network looks just like you? You ever find that everybody in your oikos looks just like you, thinks just like you, acts just like you? Now that's not totally unusual because you have a family and they're in your oikos. And you have people that live next door and they may be just like you and they're they're in your oikos. But if you look at your oikos, that network, and you find out that everybody in it looks just like you, you have probably insulated yourselves from somebody that God wants to put on the front row of your life. It's easy for us to insulate ourselves. And God says, I want you to expand that. I want you to alter that. I want you to look for someone else that he may bring into your life. And he goes, this person these days is going to be in the front row. And let's see what God does. In you and in me and in the other. Jesus, I pray for us today. I pray for me first, Lord. Uh, I want you to shape me and I want you to shape my own gut reactions to this world. And I know, Lord, how often my gut reaction does not reflect you. And I'm sorry for that, Lord. I turn from that. I acknowledge that it's not always your heart that comes out. And Lord, I pray for my friends here. We are all, we're all struggling with this. We're all trying to walk it through. And so for everyone, Lord, you speak in the way you want to speak. And take the things that need to be emphasized more from this concept and land it in our soul. And take those things that are out of proportion in our own thinking, in our own gut, and minimize those so that your clear voice is heard. (coughs) Lord, today we acknowledge that we love you. We acknowledge that we fall short of you. We acknowledge that we need your grace. And we accept again by faith the fact that you pour it out on us so generously every moment. Lord, thank you for these things. We love you. Amen.